Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Today on Inside Politics, a hospital in the crossfire. Israeli forces raid Gaza's largest hospital, conducting what they say is a precise and targeted operation against Hamas and say IDF soldiers brought critical supplies for patients in a dire situation, but still no proof of their reason for invading the hospital. Plus, Biden and Xi face-to-face, -face, a critical summit between the U.S. and China is about to begin. What can the two leaders accomplish? With tensions incredibly high, so are the stakes for this meeting. And Capital Fight Club, a day of elbows, jabs, insults, and threats. I'll speak with a lawmaker who almost came to blows with a witness right in the middle of a Senate hearing. I'm Dana Bash. Let's go behind the headlines and inside politics. We begin today in the Middle East, where Israeli forces are reportedly inside the besieged Al-Shifa Hospital in Gaza. Both Israel and the U.S. say intelligence shows Hamas is running a command center underneath the hospital. But the situation is reportedly growing increasingly dire for patients, with Al-Shifa hospital officials saying that thousands of civilians are sheltering there. CNN's Ed LaMadera is covering all of the developments from Israel. Ed. Hi, Dana. Well, you know, as we've reported for days and weeks now, the Israeli military has come under a great deal of criticism because of its military operations in and around uh, hospital areas there inside of Gaza, uh, which in, from we've heard from officials and health officials on the ground there, uh, creating a the, what they describe as a catastrophic situation. And what is happening and unfolding today is really significant. This military operation, which started nearly 20 hours ago around the and inside the Al-Shifa hospital there in Gaza City, which is the largest and most significant hospital there uh, in the Strip, uh, that is the area that has been uh, the focus of so much fighting uh, throughout the day today. Uh, the Israeli military officials said just a short while ago uh, that they are working on providing, quote, concrete evidence uh, that will prove that Hamas military fighters have been using uh, the area around, around and in the hospital, and in particular underneath the hospital, as a command and control center uh, from which they've kind of launched their military operations uh, for not just in this recent uh, fighting, but for years. So this is a a huge moment uh, in terms of what exactly what kind of evidence military officials here in Israel are going to provide about what they have found 
inside the hospital. Uh, staff have told us and have described a very dire situation. One person describing it as horrific, that you could hear the cries of children and the cries of elderly people who are inside the hospital. This is an area where many civilians have sought refuge. Uh, Israeli military officials say that they had gone in there earlier in the day and told hospital staff to uh, shelter away from windows, get into safer positions inside the hospital. Despite all of this, Hamas uh, uh, officials have said today that they described the descriptions uh, from Israeli military officials today as a blatant lie and cheap propaganda. U.S. officials in the White, the White House have said just a short while ago as well that they concur with uh, the assessment that Israeli military intelligence has about exactly how, what Hamas military fighters are doing in and around this hospital. So we are awaiting here this evidence that the Israeli military says they're going to provide in the hours ahead. And thank you so much for that reporting. Let's keep talking about this uh, with my next guest, the IDF International Spokesperson, Lieutenant Colonel Richard Hecht. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, earlier today, you told my colleagues that there were no firefights at the time that you were speaking with them inside the hospital. Now there are reports coming from inside the Al-Shifa Hospital that explosions are shaking the buildings and the whole complex. What is the status right now? The status is, as I said earlier, we didn't target the hospital. We didn't come to conquer or take over the hospital. We went in for something very specific. Uh, we are aware of the sensitivity and the location of the, uh, the patients in the hospital. And we are doing everything we can in a, in a very precise and surgical way to get to the intelligence that we're looking for. And again, this is going to be a long haul. I mean, Ed said it before, there's not going to be there might not be like a, a winning picture. There's a, every, we showed it also when I went in with uh, Nick Robertson to Rantisi Hospital. Mm -hmm. There were piers and tunnels far away. This is going to take time. I, this is going to take time. I, I understand you, you say that you didn't go in to conquer the hospital. Uh, those were your words. But just first, can you talk about what we're hearing from officials who are there right now, that there is firefighting going on? Is that true? I'm not aware of firefighting going on inside the hospital uh, as we speak. When I came onto this interview, I looked at the intelligence. I'm not aware of firefights or people firing at people inside the hospital. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't uh, believe that we are be shooting. We'll be shooting only if we see a Hamas terrorist. I, I'm aware that when we went in last night, there was some engagement in the outside part of the hospital. And when we went in, uh, from more of that, um, that I'm aware, there was no firefights okay. from within the hospital. Okay, so what is the mission of the IDF inside that hospital right now? What are the IDF soldiers doing? So we're looking for specific uh, Hamas infrastructure that we had intelligence on. So that's why we went into something very specific inside the hospital. As I said, this is going to take time. We might come out after we find what we found. And uh, this is going to be ongoing because there might be uh, tunnels, there might be weapon caches. This is going to be a long haul, Dana. A long haul meaning what? That they're going to be in this hospital for, for, for days, for weeks? Can you be more specific when you say long haul? I'm, I'll, I'll be waiting to see the assessment of the operation this evening, and then we'll make our assessments. If we need to be more inside the area to get what we need to get, uh, we'll be there. We, we believe that the hospital, it's our interest that the hospital will be able to work and take care of the civilians that are in, 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 dire, and, and, in dire situation and need care. Today, there's 
fuel coming into Gaza through the Rafah crossing. It's not. It's our goal for this hospital to keep taking care of its patients. Sadly, Hamas have installed themselves and have been working from underneath the hospital. So That's what is the IDF to, doing to, to uh, reach that goal? To pr- not just protect patients, but help the patients who were in dire need of, of base and the doctors who are trying to, uh, to treat these patients who were in dire need of basics, fuel, medicine, all of the above. Did, is the IDF helping to provide that as they come into that hospital? Dana, we've been trying for weeks. We've been trying for weeks also to have people leave the hospital. We created a safe passage from the hospital for people to connect to the to the corridors. A lot of people left. Mm-hmm. Two nights ago when there was a fuel crisis, we, and again, Hamas have the fuel, by the way, but we, we came and gave canisters of fuel. Sadly, they didn't take the fuel, maybe because Hamas didn't allow them to. Today, when we went in, we took incubators, we took food, we took humanitarian assistance. When our soldiers came in, we are doing everything we can uh, and I know it's pretty dire and hard in there, but we have to take care of Hamas. What is the end goal bes- with regard to the hospital? I understand that your end goal with regard to Hamas is to uh, try to find Hamas terrorists who you believe are there. And again, I just want to state we have not yet seen evidence of that. Well, before I get to my question, can you just a- answer? Is it your intention that the world will see the evidence that you say exists that Hamas is operating inside and below that hospital? I don't think it's my goal. My goal is to, to show the world. My goal is to make sure that the Hamas infrastructure is dismantled, just like we did in Rantisi two days ago. We showed Nick Robertson uh, a weapon stash inside the hospital. Again, it, t- it will take us time, uh, and we'll release the data that we need to release. We don't have a goal of staying in the hospital. If we understand that there's tunnels that we can access from another area and allow the hospital to keep being active, then it will, we'll make sure that happens. Yeah. We're not targeting the hospital. All right. Well, you just answered my last question, which was whether the goal is to stay in the hospital. And you just said it is no. Uh, obviously, we're all uh, awaiting the uh, the evidence that you say exists about uh, the, the Hamas command and control inside that hospital. Thank you so much for coming on and giving us an update. Thank you, Donna, for having me. And here in Washington on Capitol Hill this morning, the FBI director, Christopher Wray, and Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas testified about threats to the U.S. and spoke of the surge that they are seeing here in the United States since the start of the Israel-Hamas war. Our most immediate concern is that individuals or small groups will draw twisted inspiration from the events in the Middle East to carry out attacks here at home. That includes homegrown violent extremists inspired by a foreign terrorist organization and domestic violent extremists targeting Jewish Americans or other faith communities like Muslim Americans. Joining me now to discuss that and more, CNN's Evan Perez and CNN's Jim Shudo. Evan, I'll start with you because uh, listening to this testimony, it's obviously very complex, but what is your impression about the sort of kind of threat, the flavor of threat? Is it, are they reporting that it is concerned that there are copycats, people who are seeing what happened in Israel, the, the barbaric attacks? And I know we're seeing some evidence of kind of copycat rhetoric online, but is there right. concern that it will actually escalate to a, a violent attack? 
or is it more about actual threats of Hamas inside the U.S.? Well, there's a couple of different ways that they're that they're approaching this. One is that exactly what you just mentioned, which is the possibility that someone could go from just making threats online to actually carrying out something. And obviously, there's been a skyrocketing number of threats against uh, Jewish Americans, uh, anti-Semitic threats, as well as against uh, Arab Americans, Muslim Americans in the United States. Um, but there's, there's a second bucket, which one of the things that, that, that the FBI director talked about is that there's a number of people associated with Hamas who are now under investigation. And what happened was, after October 7th, the FBI did a reassessment. They know that there were people who are associated with Hamas, supporters of Hamas inside the United States. A lot of this has been mostly people associated with financing and, and, and trying to raise money for Hamas. And so the big concern has been is, does this change our perception? The way that attack unfolded and the, the brutality of it, does this mean that we now have to worry about Hamas attacking inside the United States, which heretofore has not been a real concern? And so that's one of the concerns that they have now, is trying to reassess that. Listen, I, I, one thing, whenever I speak to intel officials, I'm sure you have the same experience. In terms of biggest threats to the U.S., they'll, they'll talk about Russia, China, Iran, North Korea, big picture threats. But they'll always say to me, don't forget the threat of terrorism. It's, it's never gone away. Yes, there's been a lull since ISIS-inspired attacks, etc. Yeah. Uh, it, it strikes me that in this case, it would be a change if Hamas were to become an active terror organization inside the U.S. Mm -hmm. beyond fundraising. As, as Ray noted, he said, to date, it's, it's largely been fundraising. It doesn't mean they can't change, but that would be a change. It would be a qualitative change in their activities. But it is too easy, sadly, for someone to just do it on their own. And that was, the, that was the, the substance of the ISIS threat in the U.S. at the peak of their capabilities was a homegrown, someone reading some, something online, taking a gun, constructing a small, a small explosive device and attacking. And we saw attacks like that, you know, for, for years. That seems to be the primary focus. But to, to Evan's point, they're taking another look because of the brutality of October 7th to see if, well, do we have just a Hamas financing problem here? Right. Do we have a homegrown problem or could we have an operational problem as well? And they're, and they're definitely looking. And just to state the obvious, because we've seen it uh, in a very, uh, whole, uh, very fulsome way, and that it being that the target of a lot of rhetoric and some violence in the United States and around the world has been the Jewish community and, and, and also uh, some uh, in the Muslim community as well. Let's listen to what the Homeland Security Secretary said about that. In the days and weeks since, we have responded to an increase in threats against Jewish, Muslim, and Arab American communities and institutions across our country. Hate directed at Jewish students, communities, and institutions add to a pre-existing increase in the level of anti-Semitism in the United States. I mean, this is not below the surface. This isn't what they're seeing on the dark no. web. This is spilling out. Right. I mean, you saw the open on universities across and elsewhere across. Right. The I mean, you saw it at Cornell and, and yeah. other places in the United States where this has become very, very real. And it's a very scary time for especially for Jewish Americans who are being targeted and are really just the, the, the focus of a lot of this. And so the question is, you know, is there someone sitting right now at home getting sort of infuriated with the, what they're seeing happening in Gaza who wants to act out? And that's the big concern. It is a concern. And uh, luckily, law enforcement and private, net, private organizations are monitoring that consistently. Thank you so much. You stick around. Coming up, a crucial summit between President Biden and President Xi of China. The high stakes, very high stakes. So what will the two leaders actually accomplish? We're going to talk about that next. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. 
Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number Smart Beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number Smart Beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number Smart Beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it... <clears throat> a real POS. You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. President Biden is in San Francisco facing a critical foreign policy challenge. Soon he will meet with Chinese leader Xi Jinping in an effort to cool tensions between the two superpowers. CNN's David Culver is in San Francisco as final preparations are underway. David, set the scene. Hey there, Dana. Yeah, the two leaders waking up here in San Francisco. They're expected to leave their downtown hotels in about well, a little under 90 minutes from now. And they're going to head to an off-site location described uh, just south of the city as a a historic estate, uh, a mansion, as uh, our Kevin Liptak has reported. And that's going to be the setting. And it may sound superficial to describe, but those optics are actually really important, particularly for the Chinese side. Now, it's expected to last about four hours, after which we will likely hear from President Biden. As far as what's to come out of this remains to be seen. We know, obviously, the biggest focus is going to be cooling those tensions, as you mentioned. But for the specifics, perhaps something on fentanyl and the Chinese stepping forward to crack down on it, perhaps something with regards to establishing communication between the two countries' militaries again, maybe even something on climate. But more than anything else, it's essentially going to be to have the U.S.-China issue not be so front and center for President Biden, who wants to refocus his efforts looking at the Israel-Hamas conflict, Russia-Ukraine, and the 2024 campaign. As for what the Chinese one out of this. And you can bet if there's a concession that they're going to give, they're going to want to see something on their side. It's going to be economy related, Dana. They are struggling right now. So it'll be have to be something that, that will boost their economy. And that in turn provides social stability there. David, thank you so much for that reporting. Joining me here at the table, CNN's Casey Hunt, CNN's Jim Shudo is still with us, Tolu Aronipa of The Washington Post and Margaret Tollov of Axios. Uh, I want to start with something that Graham Allison, former assistant secretary of defense, said about this relationship. He said Biden and Xi will further clarify both leaders' understanding of two contradictory but nonetheless inescapable facts. First, the U.S. and China will be the fiercest rivals history has ever seen. Second, each nation's very survival requires a degree of cooperation from each other. That's 
sort of an, an important way to set up yeah. what we're talking about here. Jim, you uh, worked in China, you lived in China, you were working in government, not the Chinese government, mm -hmm. <laughs> the United States government. You understand this complex relationship. Listen, this is one of those meetings where, where the biggest deliberal, deliverable, rather, is that they're talking, and that's important, given particularly uh, the frigidity of the relations over the course of the last year, with some genuine flashpoints, right? I mean, the, the Chinese surveillance balloon uh, cruised over the entire continental U.S., right? Yeah. We shot it down. You've had close encounters between U.S. and Chinese warships, U.S. and Chinese uh, war, war planes and surveillance planes, each of which has its own danger of escalation. So the fact that they're talking is important. The fact that they're talking about military to military communications is important. That's long been a priority for the U.S. to avoid those small events from becoming bigger ones. On the big strategic issues, though, they're not going to settle those here. And it's not clear that they will settle those, right? I mean, you have a rising power and an existing power. And at the core of these disputes are ones that neither side is willing to bend on. I mean, just one is economic. The U.S. is denying China high tech, right, that it views as essential to its national interests and yeah. growth. Biden's not going to move on that. A Republican president won't move on that. So that's an issue they're going to have to set aside. Here's what President Biden said yesterday as he previewed this meeting. To get back on a normal course of corresponding, being able to pick up the phone and talk to one another if there's a crisis, being able to make sure our military still have contact with one another. We're not trying to decouple from China. But we're, what we're trying to do is change the relationship for the better. So that's what he said in public, Casey. Here's what he said in private at a fundraiser. President Xi is another example of how reestablishing American leadership in the world is taking hold. They've got real problems, folks. Yeah, <laughs> uh, a good Biden. Uh, what's invitation? that? You did a great okay, Biden invitation. <laughs> I will do it. I take it any day of the week. I mean, look, he's acknowledging there um, the reality that part of what has pushed President Xi into this is the fact uh, that he has, you know, domestic challenges at home. Um, but, you know, the reality is I, I do think his presence here is also more complicated than just the meeting between Biden and Xi. I mean, I think it's really interesting uh, that he's having this dinner with business leaders mm -hmm. afterward that business leaders had to pay to attend, reportedly, according to our, mm -hmm. our David Culver, um, that, you know, members of Congress want to look into all of a sudden, right? I mean, there are so many layers here. And then big picture, of course, I think one of the things that's going to come out of this is how it plays on the presidential campaign uh, now in the next couple of months as the Republicans, you know, take it and use it, you know, take they're just going to all bash him over it. Right. I mean, unquestioningly. Right. And then it's going to also play into any general election if Trump were to be the nominee. He, of course, had uh, his own. I think the phrase out of that meeting, Margaret, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was something like the best piece of chocolate cake that had ever been consumed, <laughs> yeah. like at a meeting at Mar-a-Lago. Right. I mean, we could be going back to that. Yeah. Right. So what there's really a lot matters. here. Yeah. yeah. But to your point, I mean, to Casey's point, like we're already seeing Nikki Haley, right, bash mm -hmm. uh, Biden over this, saying he practically begged for the meeting. Uh, the U.S. relationship with China and who's up and who's down in the power struggle is going to be one of the backdrops to 2024. But I think, like, look at the three stages on the on the sort of the world theater where there are clear implications for this. There's Ukraine and Russia's war in Ukraine. There's the war in the Middle East now between Israel and Hamas. Mm -hmm. And there is the concern around Taiwan and what the U.S. wants China to do and what China wants the U.S. to do vis-a-vis mm -hmm. -vis Taiwan assurances uh, she is going to want assurances from Biden that the U.S. posture towards Taiwan hasn't actually changed. The one potential deliverable appears to be around fentanyl mm -hmm. and around this ag agreement uh, for China to 
make it harder for the components used yeah. to make fentanyl to end up in Mexico. It's a big deal. And that's an important political, yeah. domestic political issue for uh, Biden. But for Biden and Xi, who have known each other for so many years, who in theory have had good relationships before, that is, that's not okay, a lot. I'm glad you set me up for this next uh, soundbite or this walk down memory lane. This was during the last presidential campaign, February of 2020, what uh, then Vice President Biden said about Xi. I spent more time with Xi Jinping than any world leader had by the time we left office. This is a guy who is, has, doesn't have a Democratic with a small d bone in his body. This is a guy who is a thug who, in fact, has a million Uyghurs in reconstruction camps, meaning concentration camps. Tolu, I want you to jump in on that. But before you do, I, I just one thing that Margaret said, which is that uh, most and you also said most of the Republican field is, is jumping all over this. You know who's not? Donald Trump. Listen to what he says. President Xi is like central casting. There's nobody in Hollywood that can play the role of President Xi. The look, the strength, the voice. It's good to have a good relationship with Putin and Xi and all these people that have lots of nuclear weapons. Well, President Biden has a tough role here in that he needs to play to a domestic audience while also dealing with some really thorny issues on the world stage. The while issues, also being president. While also being president, <laughs> yeah. while also handling, like Margaret said, there are theaters across the world where China is going to be playing an important role. And his Republican rivals are saying the world is on fire. They're saying there's a war in the Middle East. There's a war in, in Russia. Uh, Taiwan is at risk. And so he's having to f- focus both on the domestic audience, the, pl- the politics of 2024, while also you know, dealing with the fact that Trump is saying, while I was president, we didn't have all of these crazy wars. We didn't have terrorist attacks even though, you know, there's some fact-checking that needs to be done. And it's also that his, his approach, his Trump's approach, is to sort of cozy up with these people, with well, the she's in the And not just with him. praise. I mean, Trump, by his own advisors' accounts, gave she the okay to imprison Uyghurs in, in Xinjiang, right? I mean, so on the substance, the political hay does not have basis. Stand by, everybody. Great discussion. Coming up, Joe Biden has a big problem with young voters. Can he turn them out in 2024 like he did in 2020? The fate of his re-election hangs on the answer, and our Jeff Zeleny has some new reporting next. President Biden is assailing Donald Trump for comparing his political enemies to, quote, vermin. At a private fundraiser last night, Biden said the former president's rhetoric sounds like something out of Nazi Germany. Biden also took aim at Trump's assertion that undocumented immigrants are, quote, poisoning the blood of our country. CNN's Jeff Zeleny is following this story and more for us. Jeff. Well, Dana, it's clear now that President Biden is no longer ignoring the words of former President Donald Trump. It's also clear the Biden campaign is eager to start showing a contrast between uh, the two styles and substances of these men. Uh, We do not know, of course, if Donald Trump will be the Republican nominee, but President Biden has increasingly been calling him out at fundraisers and other places. He also said this in very stark words last night. He said, quote, there are a lot of reasons to be against Donald Trump, but damn, he should not be president. So there's no doubt President Biden is trying to fire up his own rhetoric, fire up his own base as well, and perhaps take the attention off his own challenges and turn it back to a contrast with his former and perhaps future rival. Yeah, for sure. It, it looks that way. Uh, and it's interesting to see uh, him take these specific words, which are making their way around and do have 
uh, some historical meaning. Jeff, let's talk about why you're in Georgia today. You have been doing some excellent reporting on young voters uh, who are talking to you about President Biden. What are they saying? Well, look, I mean, young voters made up a key part of the coalition, the winning coalition for President Biden. That was uh, certainly clear here in Georgia, where President Biden won by uh, under 12,000 votes, 11,779 votes to be exact. So without those young voters, that victory would not have been possible. But now many of these young voters have questions about the economy, concerns about uh, promises that were not uh, specifically uh, delivered upon. We had several conversations, but take a listen to this conversation we had with uh, Carrie Singleton, a senior at Morehouse College, who had this to say about the enthusiasm for the former president or for the current president. In 2020, where it was like, yeah, I know the Democrats have it this time. Um, I know that, uh, you know, Biden will come out victorious. I really can't say the same for, for this election cycle because, you know, like we said, the young voter turnout isn't there. Um, and the entire support behind the overall cause is not as much there as it used to be. So I'm not sure if he'll be able to pull it off again, if I'm being honest. And Dana, in all of our interviews, there really was a respectful resistance to the president. They, uh, you know, certainly understand that uh, Congress has blocked many of the proposals like voting rights, like gun reform legislation, even student uh, loan proposals. But they also want to see more from the president. So the Biden campaign, of course, is very well aware of all this. They say they are going to be uh, drawing a sharper contrast uh, between the Biden record and the Trump record. Uh, and they say, quote, we will go after voters where they are. But, Dana, the young voters, the concern, the enthusiasm will be a central part of the story we'll be covering for the next year. It's a worrisome sign at this point, at least, for the Biden campaign. Yeah, it's so interesting, yeah. Jeff. And I, I think that you make this point. I, right now, it seems as though correct me if I'm wrong, the bulk of the young people you're talking to, it's not as if they're saying, I'm going to go vote for Donald Trump. The question is whether they're going to vote at all. Right. That is the exact point here. But there uh, is some concern. Several of the uh, students we talked to at Morehouse College uh, said they are concerned about the rising levels of support among young black men for former President Donald Trump. They believe disinformation is involved in that. So there is some of that, but you are right. Overall, it's an enthusiasm question. Are voters going to be enthusiastic to vote for President Biden, not just perhaps against something? Jeff, Dana. thanks so much. It's always good to have you out there. Thanks for bringing us your reporting. You bet. And a shutdown averted on Capitol Hill, but several lawmakers are still itching for a fight, literally. I uh, got elbowed in the back. And it kind of caught me off guard because it was a clean shot to the kidneys. You want to do it now? I'd love to do it right now. Well, stand your butt up then. You stand your butt up. Oh, hold on. Big oh, oh, stop it. That's Senator Mark Wayne Mullen, and he is going to be here to talk about that tense exchange next. I'm Ina Garten. Welcome to Be My Guest, the podcast. One of the best gifts you can give friends is spending time together. But what's even better than that? Cooking with them. On Be My Guest, the podcast, new friends and old stop by my barn for some conversation and great cooking. We talk about food, life, and everything in between. Listen to Be My Guest, the podcast with me, Ina Garten, and join us wherever you get your podcasts. Tensions are boiling over on Capitol Hill as lawmakers trade insults, or in one case, it seems blows, or a blow, 
Republican Congressman Tim Burchett of Tennessee says former Speaker Kevin McCarthy elbowed him in the kidney as they passed in the hallway. I fell forward and after Kevin popped me in the back and, you know, and then he just kept walking with his security detail. And it really, it's just a sad commentary on him and, and his spiraling uh, out of leadership. Speaker McCarthy, former Speaker McCarthy, denies the allegation. And as if that wasn't enough, there was more drama. One Republican congressman, James Comer, told Democrat Jared Moskowitz that he looked like a, quote, smurf. That happened during one committee hearing. And that brings us to my guest right now, a member of Congress of the U.S. Senate who nearly got into a physical altercation with a witness during a separate hearing. Republican Senator Mark Wayne Mullen of Oklahoma is here with me now. Thank you so much for Thanks, being man. here. Uh, you were in it, so I'm not sure if you've seen the video of it. Let's I play it. Oh, well, here you go. Let's play it so our viewers can see as well. You want to run your mouth? We can be two consenting adults. We can finish it here. Okay, that's fine. Perfect. You want to do it now? I'd love to do it right now. Well, stand your butt up then. You stand your butt up. Oh, hold on. Oh, hold, stop it. Is that your solution? Every poll. No, no, sit down. Sit down. Okay. You know, you're a United States senator. Sit down. Oh, okay. okay. Sit down, please. Can I respond? Oh, no, you can't. <laughs> this is a hearing. And God knows the American people have enough of contempt for Congress. Let's not make like it worse. I don't like thugs and bullies. You, you have, and you I don't like you because you just described yourself. Hold it. Uh, so just to give some context, that was the head of the Teamsters, Sean O'Brien. And before this moment, tensions were already bubbling yeah. over. Uh, most recently, before coming, the, uh, the head of the Teamsters said in a tweet, you know where to find me. This is to you. Any place, any time. Cowboy. Right. Having said all that, in hindsight, any regrets? No, I, I really don't. There, what happens all the time is you've got these keyboard warriors that's going to go out there and run their mouth all the time, and then they don't ever have to face their consequences. Uh, I, and people tell me all the time, you know, this incumbent of a, of a United States senator, and I remind people, I'm a guy from Oklahoma first, and there's consequences for doing some of this. I get there's people on, on social media that will do this constantly. I'll never see them. This guy, I did. And this wasn't his first time. He did this to me five separate times. I ignored it every time. And then the last time when he called, when he said, you know where to find me anytime, anywhere, cowboy, I thought, you know, maybe this could be a good thing. Maybe we could do this for charity. If he really wants to be this tough guy and be this, you know, this, this union boss of the Teamsters uh, who said that, mind you, in 2022, he said he wants to bring back the mob mentality back to the Teamsters. This is the same guy in 2013 that was suspended by his Teamsters for harassing and intimidating them. I thought, you know, maybe this guy could be taught a lesson and we could just do it for charity. What do you mean by choice. that, for charity? Because this looked like you almost came to blows in the middle of Well, but I had already challenged him before this. Prior to this, I had, I had said uh, when he first put out that first tweet, or the, actually that was the fifth tweet, um, I put out, okay, challenge accepted, mm -hmm. September 30th, Tulsa, Oklahoma, for charity, MMA I fight. See. And, uh, and, of course, he didn't say anything until right before this hearing, he started running his mouth again. You mentioned MMA fight. You uh, are an MMA champion. Uh, I noticed that when you were getting up and it escalated, you're playing with it right now, you, you reached for your wedding ring. What was that about? 
<laughs> well, I, I wasn't mad, first of all. So when you get mad, you get angry, you lose your mind. First thing I thought of when I stood up, I thought, I'm going to break my hand on this guy's face. I'm going to take my wedding ring off. Uh, because when, when you're fighting and you learn how to punch correctly, you really shouldn't break your hand. But when you aren't doing it with wraps. So you actually you thought will. you were going to come to blows in that moment. I had full intentions of doing that. Absolutely. Let me play for you something that your uh, Republican colleague, Tom Tillis, just told my colleague on Capitol Hill about that. I would have bludgeoned the guy for a lot of things that he'd said, but I wouldn't have gone as far as Mark Wayne. And we need to pay attention because kids pay attention, countries pay attention, the people in this nation pay attention. And they oftentimes emulate our behavior. This is where we've got to stand up and be the adults in the room. What, what do you think about that? I mean, you're a father of six. Right. Do you want them to emulate I, I, that? I tell my kids you're responsible for your words. Uh, if you want to be a bully, expect to be treated like that. And if you should be, you should be able to stand up for other people that are being bullied, too. Uh, I'm not somebody that's going to say we go around and fight all the time. I, I got paid to fight. Uh, but I will say that every now and then, you do and you should be taught a lesson. Uh, because you can't simply just continue to do this. So wh- what point does a line get drawn? Remember, it was, it was uh, Andrew Jackson who, was, who challenged nine people to a duel and Andrew finished Jack- one person off. He Andrew also J- knocked a guy out for insulting his wife. Senator, you know, Andrew Jackson was not a good guy. Well, it doesn't matter. I'm just saying that it doesn't, it, what happens, well, Abraham Lincoln challenged a guy to a sword fight. Um, you, had, you had a duel, you've seen the blood stains on the, on the, ca- on the steps in the Senator Capitol. Sumner. And I'm not, I'm not saying that that has to happen, but I'm saying that people like him, uh, this, this mob mentality teamster boss that wants to sit there and continue to do that because he thinks he can intimidate people, at some point that has to stop too because I, I'm not supposed to just sit there and absorb it. Mm-hmm. He needs to be called out for his actions. The fortunately thing is, is I'm capable of doing it. What about the people that can't? I can do something about it and maybe I can stop him from doing it again. What are you supposed to do with bullies? Ignore them or stand up to them? Well, he's ask, a bully and I want to stand up to him. Yeah, let me ask you about that because I hear you're, what you're framing this as is he, he's the bully. You, of course, are, are, are a United States senator. I mean, we were just looking at this horrible news this morning. Jonathan Lewis, 17 years old, was killed, was beaten up to death uh, outside of his high school. And it was because he was he was bullied. But what about the bullies? What about them potentially looking at your behavior, no regrets, the potential of coming to blows in the middle right. of a hearing saying, well, if a senator can do it, why not me? The difference is, is that I was standing up to the bully. If my boys were there and they were beating on this 17-year-old, I guarantee you all three of my boys would have jumped in and defended this guy because that's the way I raised him. There's, I was going after the bully that would have beat that 17-year-old to death if he was around a crowd. That's the difference between the two. I've never bullied anybody in my life. I stood up to a lot of people. I've been bullied myself. I was born with, a, <laughs> with bad legs and had braces on my legs and had a super bad uh, speech impediment until I was in, in grade school. Um, I understand what bullying is. I learned how to do one thing because I couldn't argue with you and I couldn't run from you because I had bad legs at the time. I learned how to fight. I'm not saying that's the answer to, question, to every issue, but I did learn one thing. If you push back at a bully, Typically, they'll shut their mouth up. You know what Sean did? He didn't stand up. He had the fear of God in his eyes. And I guarantee he won't do that again to me. Senator Mark Wayne Mullen, thank you so much for coming in. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. And up next, new reporting on the fate of an embattled New York congressman, George Santos. The House Ethics Committee is expected to release a report on Republican Congressman George Santos tomorrow. But 
The chairman of that committee tells CNN it will not include a recommendation on whether or not to expel George Santos. CNN's Manu Raju is on Capitol Hill. So, Manu, what exactly does that mean in practical terms? Yeah, I just spoke to the chairman of the House Ethics Committee, Michael Guest, who did make that news, saying that there would not be a recommendation to expel George Santos from the House. That is significant because a lot of these members were waiting for some sort of explicit direction from this committee, which has been investigating George Santos's conduct before deciding whether or not to make Santos the sixth member ever in American history to be expelled from the House. But Michael Guest told me that it's going to it would take some time, potentially extend the investigation into next year if they were to try to go down the route of making such a recommendation. Instead, he said that its long-awaited report, which is expected tomorrow, will detail allegations, evidence that they have accumulated about his conduct. And then he said that the members themselves could make a decision about whether or not George Santos deserves expulsion. And of course, this requires two-thirds majority in order to get there. And just recently, just in the last week or so, there was a vote to expel Santos had failed because a lot of members were waiting for Santos's report to eventually be unveiled here. So, Dana, it's still an open question about how this will be, whether there'll be the votes to kick him out of Congress. But he did tell me moments ago, George Santos, I will take whatever comes my way the way it comes. I have no concerns and I don't have any premeditated feelings about any of this. Yeah, and I, this is what you were getting at, that if the Ethics Committee doesn't actually make a recommendation, some members will find an out to not vote yes on an expulsion. Thank you so much. Appreciate it, Manu. Thanks for that reporting. Thank you for watching Inside Politics. CNN News Central starts after a quick break. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number Smart Beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.